Mobile Business News 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Peloton. Up week three in a row for the S&P 500 index, uh, advancing 0.5% on the week. It was a down Friday, though, the S&P falling a point to 24.72, down less than one-tenth of one percent. The Dow down 31 points, a drop of one-tenth of one percent. NASDAQ down two points, down less than one-tenth of one percent. The tenure up 6.30 seconds, yield there 2.24%. Gold up $9 the ounce to 12.54, up seven-tenths of one percent. And West Texas Intermediate Crude uh, ending the week below $46 a barrel, down $1.23. That's a drop of 2.6%. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Lovely. Charlie Pellet, thank you so much. Charlie Pellet with a Bloomberg Business News Flash right here on Bloomberg Markets. And you are listening to Bloomberg. Pizza and dress on the cheap, all in a day's work when you're an American CEO. I love this story. Our producer, Paul Brennan, loved this story. It is among the most read on the Bloomberg. And Andrews Mellon is with us, executive compensation reporter here at Bloomberg News in our Bloomberg 1130 studio to tell us all about it. It really was a fun story to read this morning. <laughs> it was a fun story to write, too. Well, tell us what you what you set out to do. We sift through public statements or public filings to see what sorts of perks that some of the largest companies in America give to their senior executives. Um, and we try to find the weirdest ones and the most interesting ones and the most funny ones that we could come across. And these, you're talking about publicly held companies, so they've got to put these filings through and it's all detailed. And these are individuals who get paid a lot of money. Yeah, millions, tens of millions for some of them. So tell me about some of the interesting um, things that you found. Well, we mentioned in the story specifically one, my personal favorite is uh, the CEO of Domino's. He gets reimbursed for all his personal pizza purchases that he does throughout the year. So in 2016, he ate pizza for about $224, $26, which is not a whole lot when you would think about it. But um, may, I don't know, maybe he's not a pizza guy. But uh, someone maybe think that, you know, he makes, how much did he make uh, in compensation? I think north of $11 million. That maybe he could... You would think, right? So in the company's defense, you can say that this is a way to let the CEO try out the product and make sure that it's up to par and, you know, that it's really good. Perhaps that would be something for Chipotle to try out. Uh, I'm not going to touch that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, it's interesting that this goes on because I think there is more scrutiny um, on compensation packages. There is. And there's definitely been a pullback uh, in the amounts and the types of perks that companies offer. We don't see really the lavish things that you could see pre-financial crisis at some of the big banks or if you go all the way back to Tyco and and Enron where you could see some really, really outrageous. It's funny. When you mentioned um, Dennis Kozlowski and Tyco, I, uh, you know, remember, you know, reporting on kind of the undoing of Tyco, if you will, and how many times we talked about that umbrella stand and there was something else. Like we just, every time the story came up, that was a $15,000 dog umbrella stand. We, you know, came up over and over again um, of just the excessiveness, if you will, of executives. It's pretty incredible. That, Tell- it doesn't really happen to the same extent today. Tell us about some of the other things that you guys came across. You mentioned uh, Domino's Pizza. Yeah, we also found Vail Resorts, um, a ski resort. Mm-hmm. They let their CEO 
um, stay on company property and, and take ski lessons and um, purchase um, apparel. And he spent about $11,000 on that last year. Um, Some would say, too, that he's got to check out, you know, the runs, see how they go. That's right. That's right. Know his product. Yeah. you got to wonder why he still needs ski lessons, that perhaps he should be good enough at this point. But And is it more the case of $11,000 for somebody who, I don't know how much he was paid, um, that they didn't pay for it themselves? Is that part of it? Yeah, that definitely rubs a lot of people the wrong way. It's it's the whole idea of you're making this much money already. Why can you just not pay for this yourself? Why does that have to come out of the company's coffers? And that has really been an issue with a lot of people just because it's not necessarily that it's a lot of money, but it's the optics and it's unfairness. Right, makes you, right, especially in this, you know, era of one percenters and, and people kind of pushing back those who, who aren't as fortunate. Um, you do also talk about country club me- memberships, which you often see executives uh, partaking in, and they are often paid for by the company? Yeah, so they used to be really, really common across many industries. Um, they've gotten less so, but one industry where they're still very prevalent is the oil and gas industry. Down in Texas, Oklahoma, there's a stronger culture of country clubs there. And companies often defended with, well, our CEO needs to be part of the local business community. And it can also be a way to incentivize somebody to move to Midland, Texas, for example, where there might not be that much to do. And country club membership might be a necessary benefit to throw in there. I have a bunch of family in Texas, and we love all aspects of Texas, including Midland. Um, hey, what about, though, if you get a perk, is it considered income? Yes, it is. So it's considered the value of the perk is considered taxable income. So the executive has to pay taxes. On so them. if they get the country club membership that the company pays, that's considered extra income. Exactly. If they're flying on the company jet, is that considered income? Yeah. Okay. If they're getting pizzas bought for them, is that considered income? Yes, it is. <laughs> they have to pay tax for it. In certain instances, the company grosses up the individual for the, for the taxes, but in most instances, they pay for it. Now, there are, like, as you mentioned with the pizza that, you know, you, you talk to, um, Domino's, right? And they're saying, well, wait a minute. He's got to try the pizza. He's got to know his product. So I guess they're, you know, what's related to his job or what's not related to his job. Are there clear rules or it gets, there's some gray area here? It's a very gray area. Uh, for, so example, Facebook, um, has a very big security arrangement for, uh, CEO Mark Zuckerberg. But for years and years, they never disclosed what the cost of that was and how much of that was taxable income to Mark Zuckerberg because they said it's just not, it's so tightly related to his job that we shouldn't have to disclose it. Eventually, the SEC in 2015 said, no, you have to disclose it. And then it was revealed that the company spends you know, about $5 million a year on ensuring the safety of, of Mark Zuckerberg. Andrew, does sometimes some of this stuff, though, lumped in that it's really hard to kind of parse out exactly what perks are going to the executives? It can be. If, if the perks are small, then the company's... Don't always have to break them out and say exactly what dollar figure went to what perk. And it sometimes is lumped in with, with much bigger items like it could be severance pay or dividend payments. And that could make some of these smaller ones like $200 in pizza, pizza purchases not be disclosed. Right. I think it can be tricky because I think security and flying private jets maybe make sense in terms of security. But but you're right. Some of them make you scratch your head just a little bit. Right. And it's what the activists love, right? Yeah. Or they definitely <laughs> do. I mean, this this is something that everybody understands, right? Yeah, exactly. Anders, thanks for bringing us this story. Anders Mellon, executive compensation reporter at Bloomberg News. 
joining us in our Bloomberg 1130 studio. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Markets. All right, everybody, if you went shopping perhaps for some artwork, well, you might get a thank you from Christie's. We'll explain in just a moment. That's coming up next on Bloomberg Radio. Let's uh, check on some of the news after the close. Closing bell, just some of your top business stories overall. Here is, once again, Charlie Pellet. All right. Hi. Thank you very much. Carol Master turned out to be a down Friday and up week. S&P 500 index up five tenths of one percent on the week. NASDAQ was up 1.2 percent this week. Three in a row, I should add, for both NASDAQ and the S&P. The Dow had a losing week down three tenths of one percent. Today, the S&P falling a point to 2472. Little change there. Dow Industrials down 31, a drop of two tenths of one percent. NASDAQ declined two points, a drop there of less than one-tenth of one percent. First day of trading for Pet IQ, which manufactures and distributes health and wellness products for cats and dogs. Cord Christensen is the chairman and CEO. He was interviewed today on Bloomberg Markets. Here at Pet IQ, we're very focused on one thing, and that is providing better availability of the best pet health care items and by making those available through major retailers across the United States. And uh, the company founded day one with that focus. We've never changed that focus. And ultimately, it's a, a very large market that's growing extremely well already. And today we saw shares of uh, Pet IQ ticker PETQ up 45.75%. General Electric, a member of the Dow, down 2.9%, says it's trending toward the bottom end of its profit forecast this year as the manufacturer faces ongoing challenges in the oil and gas market. West Texas Intermediate Crude down 2.6%, down $1.20 a barrel to 45.72. Gold up 9.50 the ounce to 12.55, up 8 tenths of 1%. The tenure up 6.30 seconds with a yield of 2.24%. So again, recapping, S&P down just about a point to 2472, down less than one-tenth of one percent. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. All right, Charlie, thank you so much. You're listening to Bloomberg Markets on this Friday. I'm Carol Masser in our Bloomberg 1130 studio, and this is Bloomberg. walk around one of the great museums of the world, and yep, you'll agree, every picture tells a story. Uh, and some of those folks, investors have been picking up some of those pictures, and it's helped out some of the great uh, auction houses. Let's uh, get into that with our Peggy Collins, investing team leader at Bloomberg News, along with Katia Kazakina, art market reporter at Bloomberg News, both of them in our Bloomberg 1130 studio. Just bring in a glass, a couple glasses of wine, guys, and this would really be perfect. <laughs> exactly. Nice summer Friday. Um, so tell me what's going on. First of all, take Take a step back. What was 2016 like for the art world? Not so great? Uh, not so great. Uh, we actually saw quite a big contraction in, in auction sales, and um, people were freaked out by all the instability in the world you know, between the Brexit and the U.S. elections, and so sellers just didn't want to part with their Picassos and Rothkos as easily. And so um, so both Chrissy's and Sotheby's struggled to, to get those works, and and so we saw, a, you know, like a, a third, a big uh, drop in sales. 
And it was interesting, too, Carol, that a lot of Katya's reporting last year reflected whether there were concerns about a bubble, potentially, that prices had risen so fast in the art market, including because so many buyers were coming from abroad, Chinese buyers, right, Katya? So there was really some concerns. And at the end of the year, we were mm. thinking, uh-oh, 2017 could be a tough year from the market, but it's actually looking pretty strong so far, right, Katya? What have you seen in terms of the first half of the year? Um, really, it looks like the market is turning the corner. And like uh, Christie's uh, this week, they reported a 14% increase in their global sales. Um, and auction sales are up almost 30%. So, wow. Yeah. That seems pretty strong. Yes. And they, um, they especially pointing out that the high end of the market is very strong. They sold like 38 works over 10 million pounds each. Right. Um, and then last year, same time was 14. So they're seeing that segment as, as, as really driving. So you've got those buyers who've got the big pockets who are coming back to the market and willing to kind of pony up. Right. And I actually, so what's interesting is that they're making, they're saying that those people never went away. The demand has been there. It's just the supply went down. Ah. And so now, because they proved last year that the, the demand is there and it was there, uh, because every time a masterpiece came up, it set really big prices. So now the sellers are more comfortable. That's interesting because it, okay, I'm gonna, there's a story that was on the terminal this week that talked about, was it Greenwich Homes? And it just said that there's been such a big supply in the market and it's put down prices. And then what you've seen is with those prices reduced, actually, I guess people have come away from the market, which is reduced supply, which is actually kind of made, the, made the market better. So you're seeing that by people coming up and willing to actually pay up, not apples to apples here, my comparisons, forgive me. But by people willing to make some of these purchases, you have more people willing to put more supply into the market. Exactly, exactly. Because they can see it can sell. I mean, they see that it, it sells. Um, have there been any really kind of marquee um, pieces of work that have sold that really have just kind of caught our attention? Well, yeah, the biggest piece that sold was very exciting. It was in the room. It was the a painting by Basquiat that sold for over $100 million. Don't judge me, but I just don't get it. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're alone. <laughs> and as Katya said, she was actually in the room. It I, was I a was frenzy, right? It was a frenzy. Oh, it tell was... us about that. I always love that. Oh, well, it was, uh, you know, it was estimated about 60. So people were thinking like, okay, well, maybe it'll be 60. So it was a very aggressive estimate anyway. 60 million. 60 saying, million. Right? I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. yeah, 60. Yeah. Not dollars. Not dollars. So oh, the estimate dollars. was about $60 million for it. Right. And so um, the record for Basquiat was 57. So, you know, in the beginning, the bidding in the room opened, I think, at 60, and the room just gasped because it, it was already above the record. or it, it was very, very high. And so from there, you could just go up, and then there were th- at least three people that were chasing it, you know, for 10 minutes or even more. Kind of back and, and forth. Back and forth. And you just don't see those moments. We haven't seen them in a while. And it was very exciting because, um, you know, because it's an American artist. It's right. An, it's an artist who already is very contemporary. So he's far from Brooklyn, from, right? Well, he's from Brooklyn. He, I mean, he's, he's, he died very young at 27, you know, in the 80s. But we just haven't seen those prices for this generation of artists. And his art hasn't been out there. It, he, for purchase, right? It 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 has been, and, and oh, it has. Yeah, yeah. It's his his prices have been going up and up and up, but th- this is just a different strat- It's just a different level. There are very few 
artists who are in that group anyway. Well, you know, Peggy, because you got you and your group, you know, you, you, you know, look at the wealth management business and where wealthy investors are going. It's interesting, um, whether or not we're going to start to see, you know, more investors kind of play in the art market again. Well, I think definitely we've been seeing that. And one of the things that I think wealthy investors or investors everywhere are thinking about is, you know, how do you diversify your assets and the things that you care about? Certainly there's always things, even with stocks that people invest in with passion and with, you know, intelligence if they like a certain company. But certainly in the art market, there's been more and more people who don't just invest for passion. They invest as part of their portfolio, at least from what we've learned through Katya's reporting. So it'll be interesting to watch how investors globally around the world change, continue to change the art market, not only who are the hot artists, but how they buy it. All right, we got to run. Ladies, thank you so much. Wine, I promise, next time on a Friday. (laughs) Peggy Collins, investing team leader here at Bloomberg News, along with Katia Kazakina, our art market reporter at Bloomberg News in our New York studio. Let's go check on your latest world of national news headlines once again. We toss things over to Adrian Mitchell in our Bloomberg 991 newsroom in Washington. Adrian. Carol, the White House has a new public face. Press Secretary Sean Spicer has resigned. He's been replaced by Sarah Huckabee Sanders. The top communications job goes to Anthony Scaramucci, a financier and Trump campaign fundraiser. The New York Times reports Spicer told the president hiring Scaramucci was a major mistake, but he says there is no friction between them. Sean decided that he thought it would be better uh, to go. And for me, as it relates to Sean, it speaks volumes to who he is as a human being, who he is as a team player. Okay, so his attitude is, if Anthony's coming in, let me clear this slate for Anthony, and I do appreciate that about Sean, and I love him for it, Uh, but I don't have any friction with Sean. Scaramucci has made the leap from Wall Street to the White House, but selling his hedge fund firm to a Chinese company will take longer. Two people familiar with the matter tell Bloomberg News the sale of Skybridge Capital has been delayed by the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. Israel says a Palestinian has attacked an Israeli settlement on the West Bank, killing three people. Reports say two Palestinians were killed Friday in confrontations with Israeli police in Jerusalem. Tensions have escalated after Israel installed metal detectors at a holy site in Jerusalem. The State Department is barring U.S. travel to North Korea. The ban comes weeks after the death of an American student who visited the country. Otto Warmbier was imprisoned in North Korea and died days after returning to the U.S. in a coma. And the IMF has agreed to a new bailout for Greece. Global News, 24 hours a day. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Adrian Mitchell. 